Hello, Hawk fans, and welcome to another episode of the Kettlecast with your host, Forrest Willoughby. In this episode of the Kettlecast, I talk about the NBA's silly season, which begins with the NBA draft coming up, and I also introduce a list of prospects that you'll probably hear connected to the Hawks in some way. Without further ado, let's get into it. We are in the middle of the NBA Finals with the Raptors and Warriors currently tied at one game apiece, and what better time to start thinking about the NBA Draft. The Atlanta Hawks have five picks in this upcoming draft. The draft is on Thursday, June 20th, so about two weeks away, and what better time to start thinking about what the Hawks are going to do with their picks. What is some history of the picks that the Hawks have? The Hawks going into this draft have five picks. They have the number eight which is their own pick, the number 10, which is the pick they received in the trade they made last year, Doncic for Trey Young in this number 10 overall pick. They also have the 35th, the 41st, and the 44th pick. The 35th is their own second round pick. The 41st pick is a pick they got in a trade with the Cleveland Cavaliers, where they helped the Cavs shed the contracts of Kay Felder and Richard Jefferson. And the 44th pick is one they got from Charlotte last year where they traded out of the second round in order to get another asset this year. One thing that Travis Schlink has said about going into the draft with five picks is that they've got five picks and they they don't want to add five rookies to the roster next year. He said that in an interview with 92.9 The Game, a local radio station, and there's no reason to believe that he's lying up. In that statement, I don't think that the Hawks want to go in, especially after adding three rookies last year in Trey, Kevin Herter, and Amari Spellman, and even undrafted guys like Jalen Adams, that they're going to get five rookies this year. With that being said, let's look at some of the picks that have been made at 8, 10, 35, 41, and 44 and see what is the average haul from each of those positions. The number eight pick hasn't had a lot of top guys. It's really kind of a disappointing look at. Uh, Last year, Colin Sexton was taken eighth overall. Before him, Frank Nilakina, who is a point guard combo guard for the New York Knicks. Georgia Bulldog legend Contavious Caldwell-Polk was taken at number eight. Terrence Ross, Al Farouk Aminu, Rudy Gay, Jamal Crawford, of course, Hawks legend. Andre Miller was taken at eight. Larry Hughes, Ron Harper, who was really key in the Bulls run in the 90s with all their championships. Detlef Shrimp, who was a really big for the Seattle Supersonics and also the Indiana Pacers. Tom Chambers, Robert Parrish, Willis Reed, and Cleo Hill were all taken with the number eight overall pick. For as being as high a pick as it is, I mean, you have some good names there. Rudy Gay still playing. Al Farouk Aminu was contributing to the Trailblazers run to the Western Conference Finals this year, but there's not really like a ton of superstars coming out at number eight so far. Number 10, you have Mikel Bridges, who was taken this past year, Zach Collins, the other Collins that was taken in the same draft as our own John Collins, Thon Maker, Justice Winslow, CJ McCollum, Austin Rivers, Jimmer Fredette, Paul George, Brandon Jennings, Brooke Lopez, Joe Johnson, Jason Terry, Paul Pierce, Adam Keefe, and Ramil Robinson were two early 90s Hawks picks at number 10. Duke legend Johnny Dawkins, Horace Grant, 
Willie Anderson and Paul Westfall were all taken at the number 10 picks. Looking at 8 and 10, and I think Larry talked about this a little on an earlier Kettlecast, it almost feels like there's better players coming out at the number 10 position. And I wonder if that's just because at the number 10, these are guys that don't have a killer skill or that they may not have the like super flashiest college production, but they're taken with what's been scouted so far and they're able just to really show out in the NBA. 10 getting Paul George, Brooke Lopez, Joe Johnson, Paul Pierce. The 10th pick has had a lot of very strong players come out. As we start to get to this, these second round picks at 35, 41, and 44, of course there's not nearly as much name recognition at these spots and also it's just a lot harder to hit. There are a bunch of really impressive players taken at these positions. 35, Draymond Green stands out immediately. Nemanja Belalitsa is a player who's still in the NBA. He was taken at 35. Glenn Big Baby Davis was part of the Celtics championship winning team. P.J. Tucker still contributing in the NBA and is a very important part of the Houston Rockets team. Probably what allows them to compete as well as they do against the Golden State Warriors is P.J. Tucker's defense and his ability to really play all positions and shoot threes. Carlos Boozer was taken at number 35. Tony Bennett, UVA's head coach, was taken at 35. Greg Foster, who's currently an Atlanta Hawks assistant coach, was taken at 35. Ty Corbin, another NBA coach, and Rick Mahorn were all taken at 35. At 41, the Hawks have a little bit of local history or recent history at taking players at this position. Tyler Dorsey was a 41st overall pick. Pat Connington, who really contributed to the Bucks' run in the playoffs this season. Jody Meeks, Willie Green, another Hawks legend, Chris Carwell. And finally, I think the biggest name is Nikola Jokic was taken at 41. Finally, the 44th pick. The Hawks have some recent history with this pick in taking Mike Muscala and Isia Cordonier, who never actually came over and played for the Hawks, but came over and played in the Summer League before his draft rights were traded. Other notable guys taken at 44, Sean Marks, who is the current Nets GM, Malik Rose, who was the Hawks D-League team GM, Chase Buttinger, who had a good career in the NBA, and one of the best nicknames in the NBA, Brian the Custodian Cardinal, who won an NBA championship with the Dallas Mavericks. So there are a lot of contributors at all these picks. You just have a a much higher likelihood of hitting those higher picks than these second-round picks. More and more lately, these second-round picks are valuable, and you can get good players at those positions, especially if your team has done a good job in the scouting department. If you want to go look at histories of these draft picks and also of all drafting positions, basketballinsiders.com has great articles on the history of all NBA picks from 1 to 60, so I recommend you go look at their histories of the draft picks. Getting into the actual draft and some rumors that we're starting to hear, before we get into these rumors, I just want to say that this is starting to get into the really silly season of the NBA. Not obviously the finals, but as teams start working players out and the Hawks have started their workouts as have other teams, teams fall in love with players And also you get agents of players starting to release things through the media. With Twitter being such a big part of the NBA now, we're also starting to see a little bit about how quickly things can spread on 
Twitter when nothing's behind them. That's just a long way of saying that take every rumor that you read with a grain of salt. Just think about who it benefits most. This first rumor is kind of a good way to show this. A couple days ago, all of NBA Twitter was ablaze because Blake Griffin tweeted out the eyes emoji. Immediately, there were multiple Twitter sleuths who said that Blake Griffin had requested a trade from the Detroit Pistons and that he was unhappy. And a couple hours after Blake tweeted out the eyes emoji, Trey Young, who went to Oklahoma, as did Blake Griffin, tweeted out how quickly things can change. And so people immediately connected those two tweets and suggested that the Hawks and the Detroit were not only talking about a potential trade, but a potential trade had already been completed. And it, there were multiple different packages that were reported amongst different accounts and ones that included Kemp Bazemore and, you know, the 8 and 10 pick or John Collins and the number 10 pick or whatever it was. It was just a very huge flurry of activity. And there were thoughts that the Hawks wanted to build a core around John Collins, Trey Young and Blake Griffin. And also that, you know, they just wanted to get Blake Griffin and Trey together. Anyway, it can't, comes out a couple days later that Blake Griffin was just on a podcast and him and the host had said, like, let's throw a wrench into NBA Twitter and, yeah, why don't you just throw up the eyes emojis and see what happens? And so it was all a bunch of activity for nothing. So there's nothing coming of the Blake Griffin <laughs> nonsense. That was a reinforcement. This is starting to get into NBA silly season and you need to be careful what you read. The Hawks have been connected with the Knicks at the number three overall pick. There's been a little bit of a reporting that the Knicks and Hawks have talked about doing a swap with the number three pick for eight and ten. And in that case, it'd be very clear that the Hawks are trying to get R.J. Barrett. The first two picks in the draft have pretty much been locked in. Zion is the number one overall selection or the number one overall prospect and consensus best player in this draft. And it seems like the Memphis Grizzlies are pretty locked into Ja Morant. The number three guy is R.J. Barrett right now. That's what the consensus is. So if the Hawks were to trade up for the three pick, it would be for R.J. Barrett. And it's an interesting deal because, again, Travis has said that we're not going to enter the season with five rookies, and this would be one way to package the picks and get one pick. And if the Hawks are really in love with R.J. Barrett, I think that that it is a fine trade. This draft is very much considered Zion number one, and then it kind of falls off after that, even with John Morant not even being really number two to everyone, the clear number two pick to everyone, and trading two swings at two potential draft picks for one in a draft like that may not be the smartest thing to do. But if the team is really in love with R.J. Barrett, I mean, you can see what they did with Trey Young last year. They were confident in that pick, and they were so confident that they traded Luka to get him. So it would not be surprise me if Travis made some sort of trade like that. R.J. Barrett would be a very interesting fit next to Trey Young and John Collins. I think he is a good wing type to put next to those two. And one of my big worries with R.J. Barrett is his decision-making. Just him having the ball all the time, he can kind of lock in into either scoring or really putting his head down and trying to get to the rim. And with Trey Young on the team, we wouldn't have to worry about him handling the ball as much. You're going to need players of R.J. Barrett's size, 6'7 and 6'8. Just in the East, you're going to have to go through 
at the very least, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Jason Tatum and players like that. And that's not even taking into account whether Kawhi stays or not. So having a player of that size who can defend that position is going to be huge. And one thing that I think the Hawks need to look at, whether they trade up to number three or they stay at eight and ten. That's a long way of saying Travis certainly has shown that he's willing to make trades if he thinks that the player is of the right quality and if he thinks that the assets will help. I just don't know if R.J. Barrett is that guy in this draft. A second rumor that's been floated out there is that the Hawks are potentially looking at just trading away their number 10 pick. This comes from ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni, and he says, A number of agents with players projected to be picked in the lottery have told ESPN they've had conversations with teams who say they are capable of making a trade for Atlanta's number 10 pick if needed, which indicates that pick may be involved in trade conversations. I think what both of these rumors just really solidify is the fact that Travis is not settling or not being passive with his thoughts that the Hawks are going to go into the offseason not using all these picks. They're going to do something with some of these picks, whether it's package some to trade up or trade some of them for actual already NBA players or for potential more picks in the in the future. It's pretty crazy that over halfway through the podcast, and I haven't even started talking about the actual prospects themselves, maybe besides R.J. Barrett, but it just kind of goes to show what all goes into NBA draft season. Prospects are super important, and ultimately what really matters is how your front office has evaluated these players, and are they able to get the guys they want at the picks they have. But a lot of the NBA has become asset management. So being able to evaluate players and recognize you can get them with a later draft pick and be able to get more assets by trading back to a position to get the player at that pick um, is also a skill. And going to be interesting to see what Travis Schlenk does with the really war chest of assets that he has right now. One thing that is starting to happen in the NBA is teams are starting to realize like once these picks are made those assets are no longer quite as valuable i think the potentia of a pick is worth more to other teams than the actual pick themselves unless you develop that player and that takes a little longer you know i think it's a little harder to do than just trading another team a second round pick or something like that We've talked about rumors. We've talked about Travis Schlink's possible drafting strategy and what the Hawks could potentially do without even talking about who they could be targeting in this draft. Ultimately, what it comes down to is what do the Hawks think they need and who are the guys in this draft that they feel can fill those positions. Getting into the prospects of this draft, there's kind of a clear group of 20, I would say, that This draft is very much Zion and the rest of the guys, and Zion is just consensus way higher above everyone else. And below that, there are a couple different tiers. I think the next tier probably goes to around 10 or so, and then really from 10 to 20, and even Travis said this himself, there are guys that some teams are going to really value and have really high on their draft boards, and then there's other teams that probably don't even have those guys in the first round. It's just kind of a weird draft sort of devoid of that really top-tier talent. Just for this first kind of introduction for the draft, I thought it'd be good just to kind of go through this top 20 players, talk about who they are, 
where they're from, maybe some of their measurables, and give you an introduction on names that you're going to hear in this first round in the area that the Hawks are picking in 8 and 10 um, going into this draft. So guys that are probably going to be gone, and we've already talked about one very prominently, Zion, John Morant. Everything that's coming out is that Memphis likes John Morant, even though that they have Mike Connolly and that they're going to draft John Morant. After Zion and Ja, R.J. Barrett seems to be pretty locked in at number three. But R.J. Barrett, I would say Jarrett Culver and even DeAndre Hunter from UVA are kind of like the next tier of guys. Um, they're all three bigger wings. Culver, maybe not so much but bigger wings that can shoot three-pointers, and that's that's what every team is chasing right now. And as I said earlier, having players that can guard these wings, that dynamic wings that each championship team seems to have these days, whether it's Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, I mean, you just have to have bodies to be able to throw at these guys because they're not going to be stopped by any one person. And so these prospects that come out who are – six five to six nine and are able to shoot threes in our athletic are just very very highly sought after that's kind of where culver deandre hunter and even cam reddish all fall into that stereotype but i'm just going to go through the way that these are ranked at the website called the stepian.com we're going to go through each prospect and provide that sort of initial introduction Going forward, I'll provide a little bit more detailed reports on each one of these guys and how they would potentially fit in with the Hawks. But for right now, we're just going to talk about what year they're coming out on, what their position is, and where they went to school. So Zion, I'm sure you've all heard of Zion, went to Duke. He's a freshman, 6'7", 285 pounds, and just clearly the best player available in this draft. There's a lot of skepticism about him coming in. Just is he just a dunker? His all of his highlight videos were just him destroying rims and, and dunking the basketball. And one thing I find amazing is his his hands aren't super big and he can't really even palm the ball, but he's still just a fantastic dunker and he he led the nation in two point field goal percentage. But Zion is going number one, whether the Pelicans make that pick or they trade it away, Zion's the player is going to be t- taking that number one. And so if the Hawks want to get him, they're going to have to trade. I don't even think anything is available for them to trade that the Pelicans would want. But he is just the clear number one prospect in this draft. Next player is John Morant, who exploded in his se- sophomore year at Murray State. He's a sophomore guard, 6'3", 175 pounds. And he sort of exploded with a lot of his dunks, but... Probably his best quality is his passing. So a little bit similar to Trey. Obviously, he's bigger than Trey, and his shooting isn't quite as complete as Trey's, but he's just another guard that can get everybody involved in the game. He was the first player to average 20 points and 10 assists in a season in college. His passing makes him a very coveted prospect going forward. Number three on the Stepien's composite list is rj barrett freshman wing slash guard from duke he's six seven two hundred and two pounds he's a lefty canadian and just a bulldog his effort can never be questioned and there's no doubt that 
RJ Barrett brings it every time he's on the court. His decision making and his playmaking ability is certainly not his strongest factors, but he is extremely athletic. He wants to be very good, and he attacks the basket when he's on the basketball court. At Duke, he had Cam Reddish and Zion around him. It was easy in the games that I've watched to be frustrated that he didn't get those other two involved a little bit more, but he has an incredible motor and his athleticism very good. For his size especially, he's just an amazing player. Jarrett Culver is a sophomore from Texas Tech, and his team making it all the way to the NCAA Finals really helped his stock. He's a 6'5 guard, 195 pounds, a very athletic player as well. And again, in that 6'5 range where he can play a wing and he could credibly attempt to guard some of the big wings in the NBA. Brandon Clark is the player they have after Jarrett Culver. And Brandon Clark's an interesting player just in the fact that he is a forward He's a redshirt junior at Gonzaga. He transferred. And his a lot of his upside is that he is a great defender. And he's a guy that a lot of analysts think could play in the small ball role that now is very popular in the, in the NBA. Just a player who is extremely skilled, also athletic, and has a very high basketball IQ. He's a little undersized at 6'8", 215 pounds to be playing like power forward in the NBA. But his reach, his just, um, again, basketball IQ makes him very intriguing to a lot of analysts. And I've seen people who have him all the way up at number two in this class. Jonte Porter is Michael Porter Jr.'s little brother. Of course, Michael Porter Jr. had the awful injury and ended up falling to number 14 last year. There were some people who thought that Jonte, who's now a sophomore at Missouri, should have come out last year and may have been a first-round pick. But he's a center, 6'11", 240 pounds, and he is not the typical super athletic, just um, chiseled giant center that you might think, but he is a very crafty passer and um, just has a very good feel for the game. And it'll be interesting. He is someone who I think could go, you know, in the lottery, or he could fall all the way down to the end of the first round. I think he's going to be drafted in the first round, but it'll be very interesting to see where he goes in the first round. Jackson Hayes is the center that a lot of people have as the best center in this class. Um, He's a freshman from Texas, 6'11", 220 pounds. He's very skinny. He's an extremely good shot blocker, and that's kind of where a lot of his value comes from so he's been tied to the Hawks obviously besides Dwayne Dedman the Hawks don't really have a center of the future unless you think Alex Len can continue to be very good and Jackson Hayes has been a very easy player in that number 10 number 8 peck range to tie to the Atlanta Hawks so you'll be seeing a lot about Jackson Hayes he just had his meeting with the Hawks so but that's a player that has been very much rumored to be in the Hawks' um, sites for this draft. The next player is someone I don't know a lot about. It's Talon Horton Tucker. He's a shooting guard from Iowa State, a freshman, 6'4", 239. Um, You know, besides Zion Williamson, a lot of these guys ahead of Horton Tucker are, you know, lighter guys. And even 
Jonte Porter, who's 6'11", 240, um, having Horton Tucker at 239 pounds, he, he's a load. And that's one of his best qualities that even at the guard position, he's kind of able to hold up and his frame really allows him to uh, be a, a, a force both attacking on offense and playing defense. But he's someone I need to look more into. And that shooting guard, that may not be a position that the Hawks are looking as much into when they have Kevin Herter already. Moving on from Talon Horton Tucker, we have Kobe White from UNC. Um, coming into this season, Kobe White was not nearly as celebrated as Nasir Little, but throughout the season, Kobe White really inserted himself as the leader of that UNC team. And his size at 6'5, 185 pounds, really makes it interesting to think of him as a point guard. I don't really think of him as a point guard. His decision-making in games I watched was just atrocious. He certainly could get into the paint, and his size allowed him to make passes that um, not everybody can make, but I just wasn't really super impressed by those decisions that he made. He, one thing, he may be the fastest guy in the draft, and there's no doubt that he would get the ball and run up the court, and in this day and age in the NBA, that is a skill that is um, very much uh, valued highly. But I, I don't know if I would like him playing next to uh, Trey Young and I just really was kind of unimpressed with his his play at point guard it'll be interesting to see in the NBA especially with the floor opening up if that just allows him to continue to grow and kind of be better than people think going forward but I was not impressed with his play at point guard and it'll be interesting to see where he's going to be drafted a lot of places that I've uh looked for draft rankings have Kobe very high so he may be the first point guard taken in this draft well after Ja Moran but Kobe is an interesting player and one that uh has shot up a lot of draft boards with his play this season DeAndre Hunter is a kid I like a lot he went to UVA and really showed out in that second half of the NCAA tournament final um I think there's a really good chance that if UVA has DeAndre Hunter last year, that they don't lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But he's just, he's 6'8", 227 pounds. He's a forward. Um, there's a little bit of question about his aggression on the court, but he's a very good defender, and he can knock down threes. Um, he's just kind of what I would look for in a prospect coming out of this draft, and he's one guy that I'd be happy if somehow fell to the eighth pick for the Hawks. The next guy is another interesting player, Goga Bidazi. He's an international prospect from the country of Georgia, 6'11", center, 251 pounds, and he's shown an ability to move his feet and shoot three-pointers, and being a rim protector and also being able to shoot threes is one of the qualities that every team wants in the NBA right now, and so he is an interesting prospect that's really shooting up people's draft boards and if the Hawks are unable to draft Jackson Hayes or if they want a center and they don't want to draft Jackson Hayes, he, Goga is a guy that you could see them drafting. The next guy may be the most divisive player in the entire draft, Cam Reddish. Um, he's a 6'9", 218-pound uh, player, freshman at Duke, and there's no doubt he looks like an NBA player. I mean, you watch this guy... There are now workout videos of him just dunking, shooting threes. He just looks the part of an NBA player. And that 6'9", 
height and the uh, wingspan that goes along with that. You just He looks like a defender. He's a guy that very much looks like he could defend any of the wings that we've talked about earlier. And for him to have a three-point shot as well and a little bit of athleticism, I don't think he's a top-tier NBA athlete, but he does some monstrous dunks in an empty gym. Um, he's a guy that if he fell to eight or ten and the Hawks got him, I'd be happy. I don't think I would want to trade up to get Cam. But Cam Reddish, just he looks like an NBA player, and there's a lot that goes into that. I think a lot of teams, you just get a guy that really looks like he can play, um, and it's hard to argue with that pick, at least initially. But he's a guy that's either really going to flourish in the spacing that the NBA game has and also no longer being on a team with both R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. I think he really struggled finding a balance in his game of being aggressive and also... You know, he was kind of relegated to being the three-point shooter. He jacked up over seven threes a game for the for Duke, and um, that was his job with both RJ and Zion on the court. So he's a player that just very much looks like a lottery pick in the NBA, and his stats in the college don't really show the same story as that. He's a guy I would be happy if the Hawks were able to get him. And coming into this season, you'd think he was definitely a lock to be a top-five pick, and his stock fell certainly this season um it's going to be interesting to see where cam reddish goes because he could certainly go as high as number four overall or fall to out of the lottery i would highly doubt he falls out of the lottery but it's certainly possible the next player on the stepians list is grant williams a junior from tennessee again he's in this six five to six eight range he's six seven 236 pounds and he was um the player next to uh, Admiral Schofield, who really made Tennessee what they were. Um, Romeo Langford is uh, the first in a couple of guards who are um, next in this list. He was a freshman at Indiana, 6'7 guard, um, and another player who, when you're that big of a player and you're a guard, is going to get a lot of attention in a draft. And Again, I don't know if guard's a place that the Hawks are looking at, drafting when they have Kevin Herter and Trey Young. Darius Garland's an interesting prospect. He was a freshman at Vanderbilt, 6'3", 175 pounds, and he only played five games. He really only played four games before getting injured. He's kind of thought of as possibly the best point guard in this draft, but that small sample size really limited what people could see of him, and it'll be interesting to see how teams value him going forward. There's some places I've read that since he signed with Clutch, which is uh, LeBron James's, where LeBron James is signed with as for his agent, um, that the Lakers are going to draft Darius Garland. But it's going to be very interesting to see where this kid who only had four games of college gets drafted. The next player is one I'm really high on, P.J. Washington, who's a sophomore at Kentucky. 6'8", 228 pounds, and he's definitely like a forward Um, slash super small five but he stayed at Kentucky for another year he wasn't one of the one and dones and I think he really helped himself he increased his three-point rate his true shooting percentage and his effective field goal percentage in his second year and he just has a little bit of the qualities he's one thing that I'm always going to have a bias towards is a player that can pass and I think PJ Washington had some passing in his game and He's just a very smart player, so it'll be 
He's another interesting player and one that I don't think is like really mocked to be in the top 10, but I would not be unhappy if the Hawks ended up with P.J. Washington. Um, Kevin Porter Jr., a freshman guard at USC, California, um, is the next guy on this list. 6'6", 220 pounds. He played 21 games for the Trojans, and he might have been one of the um, higher... Uh, rated guys coming into this season and at a 6'6", 220, again, just great guard size. I'm in a player that I'm going to have to do a little bit more research on. Bull Bull is next on this list. A player who didn't get to finish his whole season at Oregon because of injury and his nine games certainly have uh, amazing stats. He averaged 21 points on 50 6% shooting, 52% on his three three-pointers of games, 9.6 rebounds and assists, and 2.7 blocks. I mean, those are just incredible stats. But his body type is one that I'm, like, so biased against. It's, um, it, it kind of really clouds my judgment on Bull Bull. And you can't argue with the stats that he put up, but he is so skinny, 7'2", 235 pounds. And he brings that shot blocking and three-point shooting um, kind of gold standard that you want in a modern center. But his can he hold up in NBA play? And can you have a player who's 7'2 and already starting to have some injuries? Can you rely on that guy? At 8 or 10, I'd be extremely hesitant to pick him. I think a team that's able to pick at 15 or to 20 is going to get a great pick in Bowl Bowl. But it's just... You know, I would say he's more of a lock than Thon Maker was, who went number 10 overall, but his body type really scares me, and I'm just not really sold on him. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a sophomore from Virginia Tech. He's 6'6", 220 guard, and he's a player who really popped off the screen to me in the game that Virginia Tech had against Duke. Um, he's just a smart player. Nothing super extraordinary stood out, but... He, he was playing defense on both RJ and Cam Reddish and um, also just made really smart passes on offense. 6'6", um, 220, you know, all these guys are real skinny and going to have to get bigger in the NBA, but he's an interesting prospect and a guy who, again, I don't think you can draft at 10 or 8, but he's, he's going to be a good player for someone in that teens range, I think. Um, finally, the last player on this list is Matisse Thibel, and he's a senior, I think the first senior on this list, from Washington, 6'6", 200 pounds, and he's the first player who's pretty much only um, skill on here is defense. I mean, he averaged three and a half steals and two blocks a game at the guard position, and 6'6", 200 pounds, not a super huge guy. Um, only averaged nine points a game, but he had some incredible defensive stats that it'll be interesting to see if they translate into the NBA. So that is the first 20 prospects of this draft. Again, I kind of felt like I needed to go all the way to 20 just because of how flat this draft is in some people's eyes. And I'm definitely going to go into more detail on these guys as we get closer to the draft itself. But these are names that you're going to start hearing and names that, of players that the Hawks could draft at, at 10 and 8. 
Um, I think also if the Hawks trade back a little ways, these are guys that could be available at 15 or 20 if they trade back. Um, and the guys at the top, I think really R.J. Barrett, um, DeAndre Hunter, Jarrett Culver, if the Hawks fall in love with one of those players, they're going to have to move up to get them. But if you made it all the way through this, you know, kudos to you. Those are the draft picks, or those are the prospects of this draft. We're going to get into much more detail with them going forward. I think I'm going to break it up by skill position. But my goal, if I were the Hawks, is to get some wings that you can throw out there and see if can actually be defenders in the NBA. I know I'm probably sounding like a broken record at this point, but getting someone who can competently defend Giannis Antetokounmpo or Kawhi Leonard or just any of these wings and help Trey out especially. Trey's never going to be a great defender. Um, just should be the highest priority. And I'm not really worried about center as much. I think center is a little bit of a position that's being devalued in the NBA. I think we saw, you know, Rudy Gobert's defensive player of the year potentially, and he they the Jazz couldn't get out of the first round. And um, certainly the centers that are very impactful, Joel Embiid's, um, make a difference. But I think the, you know, really the arms race is at the wing, and the Hawks need to really focus on the wing for this draft. Thank you for listening to the Kettlecast. As always, you can reach me at kettlecast at gmail.com. If you have any questions about any particular prospects or what you think the Hawks are going to do in this upcoming summer, if you can leave a review or a rating on whatever platform you use to listen to the Kettlecast, that's a big help to me. And also, if you can share my podcast with any other Hawks fans you know.